1: For me, a generational leader is one who who understands uh, the community, who puts them at the forefront, who understands the officers, who, who leads from the front, who is present, who is transparent, um, and who is willing to get our department in full consent decree compliance as quickly as possible.
0: Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Anthony Driver president of Chicago's Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability, a mouthful fit for the Herculean task that you, Anthony, have just completed. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: You have just wrapped up a four-month nationwide search for Chicago's next police superintendent. You have forwarded three names to Mayor Brandon Johnson, He now has 30 days, or I guess now it's 29, to choose from among these three nominees or reject them all and send you back to this marathon once again. How do you feel? Is it kind of like the exhaustion and exhilaration that you feel after completing your first marathon or passing the bar exam, neither of which I've ever done?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm very, very, very exhausted. Um, one thing that I, I don't think a lot of folks know is that um, these are less than, than part-time positions. Uh, so we all have, everybody on the commission is either one person I think a full-time student. The other six of us all have full-time jobs. So this is all on top of that. Um, we've all, at least Commissioner Terry and I, I can say for sure, have been doing 70, 80 hours a week. Um, well, probably 70 hours a week for, for the last uh two and a half, three months. So I, I am very exhausted, but I am very pleased with the process and a little towards closing the gap between our, our communities and, and those who police them.
0: You set out to find a generational leader, as you put it. You believe you say you have found three of them. The Chicago Police Department's counterterrorism chief, Larry Snelling, Angel Nivalez, CPD's head of constitutional policing and reform, and the Madison, Wisconsin police chief, Sean Barnes, who spent a year as director of training and development at COPA. What makes these three people capable of being generational leaders? And what exactly is a generational leader to you?
1: Yeah, so I think each of them have different strengths within their own right. Um, but what what was exceptional across the board is their understanding of our city their understanding of the issues um, in their track record. We're able to look at these folks and and clearly see the work that they've done over the last 20, 30 years and the results that it's yielded. Uh, That's probably what's most impressive to me. Uh, I think our city is in crisis. I think our city has been in crisis for, you know, since I've been alive. Um, And I think that these folks have the tools Ah, uh, necessary to to help be a part of uh, of changing that and turning that around. Mayor Johnson has been very clear that he wants to focus on the root causes of violence, that is a more long-term strategy. But in the interim, I think any one of these folks can step in right away uh, and make almost an immediate impact. Um, and especially with the leadership team that they build around them. So for me, a generational leader is one who who understands uh, the community, who puts them at the forefront, who understands the officers, who who leads from the front, who is present was transparent um, and who's willing to get our department in full consent decree compliance as quickly as possible.
0: When you say Chicago is a city in crisis and has really been for your whole lifetime, what do we, what do you mean by that?
1: I mean, we've, we've struggled with gun violence and crime for a very, 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 very long time. We struggle with disinvested neighborhoods for a long time. Uh, I'm born and raised on the South side in the back of the yards in Inglewood neighborhood. Um, and I, I grew up in in gun violence. I grew up in a, in a very traumatizing situation, um, and, and so that's that's what I mean. Uh, that that our city has struggled um, to to get a handle on this for for a not for a long time, but again since I've since I've been alive, um, and, and so that that's what I mean is that you know you can combine the murders of uh, of LA and New York to equal Chicago's right now, and those are both larger cities than ours. Um, and so I, I think we, you know, we we have an issue that we need to address head on.
0: After spending as much time as you did on this and taking pains to reach out and talk to so very many people, hundreds of them, really, you must have come away with the favorite among these three. Am I right? You're only human.
1: You you mm-hmm. are right, but I'm not going to list that name. <laughs> but you are correct. I can't I pry I it, it out
0: of you. I can't torture you into telling me.
1: Mm-hmm there no there's no way there's no way I'd do that but uh, of course I have I have I have a tremendous amount of respect for all of them but I do I do have a person who I think is ready for the job I wouldn't I wouldn't come here and give you a political answer but I do
0: Okay well at least you're an honest man and I can't yeah. squeeze it out of you I can't uh I can't yank you by the hair or the fingernails and and torture you into telling me
1: Yeah no there's no there's no way I'd do that
0: okay well let's start by talking about the process we know you uh set out to find candidates with the rare combination of experience and skill to increase public safety deliver reform system-wide support officer wellness and build and cultivate that deep and lasting trust in the neighborhoods that is so very lacking that is so desperately needed to solve crime really to guarantee public input cast the broadest possible net You had seven public forums. You gathered survey responses from 250 civilians, 270 police personnel. You spent hours listening to the concerns of rank-and-file police officers at the FOP, the lieutenant's organization, uh, the sergeant's organization. You interviewed subject matter experts like Charlie Beck, who served as interim chief, the former L.A., police chief, all these outreach workers and religious leaders and social social service agencies and legal aid people and business organizations, what are the most important qualities that you gleaned from doing all of that
1: listening? It, It is somebody who's willing to be collaborative, somebody who's willing to be present. That was one of the things that I saw across all of the groups was that they want somebody who's out in the communities, not somebody who... Uh, you know stays on thirty fifth street and never comes out and, and talks to the media who never comes out and talks to the public. Um, I think that was uh, that was very apparent um, and we're talking about people who are law enforcement or law enforcement adjacent. The biggest issue that we heard was the scheduling and the cancel days off uh, and not only the need for mental health resources but to treat them with respect on the front end um, before they actually need the resources. Um, and if you're talking about community, uh, what we heard a lot from them was that they want victims to be treated with empathy, uh, that they want to be respected. The, there's a big issue in disparity in call times in our city, uh, where it's not equal when you call the police in certain neighborhoods as opposed to other ones, some neighborhoods, you get an eight minute response. Some of times it takes over an hour for what we call priority one calls, which are, are, are some of the most violent crimes. Um, so so we heard a lot, but we what what I would say is the, the most common was that uh, somebody who's present, somebody who's collaborative, and somebody who leads from the front.
0: You had an initial screening process that included a very detailed questionnaire. How did you decide whom to interview in person and which candidates you invited back for follow-up interviews? And how many interviews did you conduct with the final three?
1: Um, the way that that process shook out was we created a rubric that was based on all of the stuff that you just listed earlier. Um, based on that rubric, we, Commissioner Terry and I reviewed and did the, uh, the written material. There was a screening process by the search firm. We compiled all of that information and presented it to the commission in a closed meeting. Uh, and as a group, determined who we would interview from there. After that, we got it down to 13 folks. We used this very similar rubric for that 13. These are uh, three days worth of interviews, which took it on average about two and a half hours per candidate. Uh, to get through. After after uh, that, we got down to six, and we did another two days of interviews, which were on average two to three hours, uh, as well. Um, and then, lastly, we uh, did the did a very thorough background check that was everything from you know college transcripts to financials to um, talk talking having investigators reach out to references and other folks who who know these people and can attest to their character. Uh, and that's what we did at our executive meeting. Just yesterday uh, as we reviewed the final material from the investigators and made a decision.
0: Did you find any skeletons in anybody's closet.
1: Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever put any candidates privacy at at risk Um, so yeah I won't comment on that.
0: Was anything disqualifying that was dug up.
1: In the entire process, of course. If it, if that's, I mean, that's how, in if the background checks, got-
0: did you did you go into the background checks and then find something that said, uh oh, no, we got, we can't choose him, or her? Yeah, I wouldn't.
1: I, I, I won't. Com- I won't comment on that. on On these these are people's personal lives. If If it's not public, then it's not my place to share that.
0: Okay, a man of honor. Let's talk about these individual nominees and what makes them so special in your mind. The wild guard to me is Sean Barnes, the police chief in the relatively small population, 270,000, predominantly white college town of Madison, Wisconsin. He is a Ph.D. He's a police visionary, really. I saw an interview that he did with a Madison TV station where he got that job. He's very thoughtful, very impressive. We also found a... 30-page paper or so that he wrote on his philosophy of policing. What exactly is his philosophy, and what impressed you so much about Sean Barnes? Uh,
1: I, think, I think Chief Barnes checks, checks the boxes. Uh, he's no stranger to our city. He's a person who has vast experience um, across different police departments. Um, but he's also a very, as you mentioned, he's a PhD. He's a very uh, well-read and well-studied person. Uh, we even looked at his dissertation, which was in racial bias and policing. Um, and I think his results speak for themselves. He instituted a program in Madison. Uh, I don't want to mess this up. So, I'm, you know, forgive me if my memory is not the greatest, but it's, it was something along the lines of uh, having civilians who take 911 calls who are not sworn, uh, but can alleviate some of the pressure from officers where you can call and get your police report done virtually via Zoom. Uh, I think his quote was If I can be hired as a chief of police during a pandemic via Zoom, then why can't we take police reports from? From the same mechanism, um, and that actually created space for officers to go out and do uh, more. Well, I guess I would say hardcore police work. Uh, he's a, a, a stellar candidate, a person who, who uh, I believe is very well prepared and 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 has done great work a, across different police departments, including um, I state here in Chicago.
0: And what did he say? How he would boost morale among the rank and file, which is so lacking at this point.
1: Uh, Chief Barnes actually has a number of mentees uh, in the Chicago Police Department, uh, as well as former CPD personnel who are uh, who are mentors to him. Um, so when we asked him that question very directly, uh, his response was that uh, he would first begin by listening, by talking to folks, by, by getting the input, by getting the buy-in, um, and and putting them at the forefront. Well not not putting I shouldn't say putting them at the forefront but putting uh their ideas for wellness at the forefront.
0: And what did he say about restoring the shattered public trust in Chicago?
1: Same thing. Uh Chief Barnes was was all, he always spoke of uh spoke of collaboration, uh spoke of the need to listen. Um he, he's not he's not the type of person who will come in and say I have all of the answers. He's okay being wrong. He's okay not being the smartest person in the room. Um, and he's okay listening to folks who may be better uh, who maybe be better understand the issues uh, than he does, and then using that feedback and crafting a plan.
0: And that speaks to the quality of humility, which is so terribly important. You have to know what you don't know, you have to be willing to surround your people yourself with people who do know and not have your ego get in the way and not think you have all the answers. Is he a humble guy?
1: Oh, absolutely. No question. One one of the most humble people I've met. And yes, no, no question about that.
0: Why is that so important?
1: Um, because that's, I think that's a, a quality of, of leadership, um, knowing that, that, you know, you are the person in charge and you're the ultimate decision maker, but there are people who are better at certain things than you, um, that, that speaks to collaboration that speaks to a desire to go forward that speaks to not needing um, to be the face of everything, but wanting to be results oriented. Um, that, that's why I think that that's a really important trait.
0: And what did he say about his plan to get a handle on the violent crime that plagues us here at levels that are really higher than New York and LA combined?
1: Yeah, he spoke on, on the need to, uh, um, to boost the detective ranks. He spoke on, um, the use of technology. He has a, a, a number of different ideas uh, as to how, um, how to reduce crime, how to um, put together a strategic plan. One of the things that I found most compelling, I think our commission found most compelling, was that he, he spoke about how in Madison they do a workforce allocation study every year. Uh, we have been begging for a workforce allocation study to be released in the city of Chicago for the last decade. Um, and they do this every year and they reassign officers based on that every year. Uh, so using data, that's also something that is really important. And I found that to be uh, really impressive. I think if we had that in the city of Chicago, uh, it would solve a lot of our response time problems and our workforce allocation, and we won't have to cancel so many days off for officers.
0: And what about technology? What technology did he talk about using?
1: Yeah, so I i, I don't remember the, all of the interviews exactly verbatim, so I, I, won't, I won't speak to that because I, I simply don't remember his answer to that question.
0: The year he spent at COPA could be a bit of a red flag to the rank and file. They don't trust COPA. They call it a kangaroo court.
1: Um, possibly, but I, I think the rank and file, you know, and the FOP leadership, lieutenant's leadership, and sergeant leadership, um, I think if they had a conversation with him, um, they may see things differently. He was a director of training at COPA. Um, so, and he was at COPA for about 10 months, not even a full year. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being at COPA. Um, I'm not of the opinion that that, that is a disqualifying thing, um, but that's something I think he'd be willing to work through and, and look to gain their trust.
0: And then there's the whole issue of being an outsider who has never served in any capacity at CPD. The Chicago Police Department, as you know, is a very insular organization. They eat, eat outsiders for breakfast. These officers believe that David Brown never understood Chicago or CPD, nor do they believe he had their backs. What makes you think that, given that backdrop and that history so recent that an outsider like Sean Barnes can rise above all that?
1: um I think it you said it eats it eats uh, outsiders to breakfast. I think it eats everybody for breakfast um again I'm in my thirties if you if you look back over the ex- course of my life um I don't recall a time whether it be outsider or insider where anybody's written a headline that said wow chicago uh, has really significantly uh, decreased their crime rates in this person and it's because of this person um I, i'd be shocked to see if that's happened anytime in the last 50 years
0: there are advantages of course also to being an outsider who is not tethered to the old way of doing things at cpd an old boys network that produced so many of the top brass here Is that more important than knowing the system from inside?
1: No, I think it's very I think I think things are they're they're equally weighted. You know, uh, we frequently quoted Superintendent Beck where he says an outsider uh, who gets the job has a steep learning curve, but an insider who gets the job has a steep forgetting curve. I think that's absolutely correct.
0: So which is which is more difficult to overcome, the forgetting or the remembering?
1: I don't know. That that depends on the person. I think that, I think that depends on the person. I think that's a question that Mayor Johnson now has to ask of these three candidates.
0: The safer choice for Mayor Brandon Johnson would be to choose Larry Snelling. He is a 28-year veteran who oversees a 1200-person bureau of counterterrorism. He oversees 12 uh yeah, the 1200 officers in multiple divisions including the criminal networks O'Hare and Midway, the public transit section which a lot of people think didn't do such a hot job and isn't doing a very good job of controlling crime on CTA buses and trains. What stands out about Larry Snelling? I know he's very well liked among the troops. Uh,
1: um What stood out to me the most was the, what's the word? The variety of people who speak highly of Larry Snelling. It completely caught me off guard. Um, You're at the FOP and they're speaking highly of Larry Snelling. You're talking to the attorney general's office who oversees the consent decree. and They're speaking highly of Larry Snelling. I'm at Ariana, Officer Ariana Preston's funeral. Officers pulled me to the side and they're talking about Larry Snelling, so the, the the variety, right? There's one thing to have community support is one thing to have, officer support is one thing, but the variety of people who speak highly of him, I found that to be um, really impressive um, from community folks, you name it. Um, it really ran the gamut of folks who were very confident in his leadership and what he's used to And what do they far.
0: say about him? What do they say makes him so likable and such a good leader of men and women?
1: You know, I will I will tell you what, I don't know this officer's name who pulled me aside at Officer Preston's funeral, but what she said to me is, um, that's our guy. He's hard on us, um, but he's also fair. And I think that, that pretty much encompasses. He, it, she said he's hard on us, but he's also fair and he pushes us to be our best. I think that-, I uh, that
0: So is he the guy to boost morale? Is he the best one to do that?
1: I don't know who that that would be a question for for officers you know i'm not a I'm not a police officer, so I can't speculate on that, but i do I think he would have a positive effect on officer morale uh, no question
0: and what ideas and philosophies and changes did he share
1: yeah he he spoke a lot about what he called uh, cowardly and courageous leadership um and, and and made a very uh impassioned speech about that, which I found to be very very. Compelling, and, and he's he is a person who is very clear uh, that he will have folks back, that he will will be out there arm in arm with uh, with our police officers, but that he will also hold them accountable. Um, he struck me as a very uh, no nonsense type of person, but a very fair person uh, who's willing to call balls and strikes. And I thought I think that was um, that was pretty impressive.
0: When he said cowardly and courageous leadership, what's the difference? What 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 examples did he give of those two things?
1: well i won't I won't talk about the cowardly leadership piece, but I will talk about the courageous leadership uh he actually gave an example of something that I was there present to see and didn't even know that it was him uh who did it and that was uh there was an incident in Inglewood and he, he was a commander where um some misinformation that got out and there were hundreds of community members who were very upset thinking that a, ch- a child had been shot multiple times by the by the police department and there were you know, about a 100 or so officers out there. Uh, that's that's my neighborhood, that's where I'm from. I was out there on the scene and it was a very contentious moment uh, at a point where I thought that my community was gonna go up and smoke. Um, but through his relationships in that community and the people that he knows, he was willing to work with them uh, and he actually got all of the officers to leave off of that block. He gave the accurate information to the community and no nobody got hurt in that situation. And this is in the middle of 2020 um, when, when things were very tense and I just had a feeling in my gut that my neighborhood was next to go up and smoke. Uh, and that didn't happen. I think that's a good example of courageous leadership.
0: Yeah, he was, uh, he served as deputy chief of area two for two years. And before that as Lieutenant then commander of the Englewood district, that was, as you say, 2020 tumultuous period after the murder of George Floyd and the civil unrest that devolved into two, very devastating rounds of looting that spread to the neighborhoods. What did he say about that period and what he learned from it?
1: Uh, he just spoke about that. It was, it was a difficult time, but that's, you know, the leadership lesson that he had, he had gleaned from his career uh, thus far were really able to uh, go into effect and the relationships. I mean, he was the commander of the Eaglewood district, but he's also born and raised in Eaglewood. Um, so this wasn't, This wasn't just a community to him. It was his community. Um, And I think that that really, really helped him to connect with residents during that time and and actually, you know, be a, a good leader.
0: He was also a sergeant of training for eight years. He was an instructor at the police academy for about a decade. He redesigned the department's use of force training model to coincide with constitutional policing and national best practices he's testified as an expert in federal use of force cases what does that do for him
1: it makes him very well rounded and i will say his his time in the uh um what did you just say the uh training his time training being an instructor
0: academy.
1: yeah yes many it makes him very familiar to the rank and file because a lot of those folks he helped to train which is also something that was uh that came up, that not from him, but from from officers who who said this person was somebody who trained me. Um,
0: yeah, it, there's a bond. That yeah, stayed, it, it made, you know, it's like your drill sergeant in the Marine Corps, right?
1: Yeah, it makes it makes him a, a very well rounded candidate.
0: You love him and you hate him, probably because he acts like your mother and father and he disapproves. And then at the <laughs> end, he says congratulations and hands you your badge. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Charlie Beck, again, he also said to you, he advised you to ask the insiders how they plan to overcome and rise above the baggage that comes from rising through the ranks of a department that needs to change. How did Snelling do that? How does he plan to rise above the baggage that comes from being an insider in this system that needs to change?
1: He, he is a person who is open to listen. He's a He's a person who's willing to work with our commission, who thinks that civilian oversight um, and and the work that we're doing is important. Who's willing to work with the administration, um, and who's willing to learn. I think one of the uh, things that he's you know spoke about is that he he's a lifelong learner. So he's not somebody that's tied to a system or tied to a particular uh, way of doing things, but willing to be innovative and willing to be cutting edge. And um, I think that was important.
0: But he's more of a street guy, not as cerebral probably as uh, Sean Barnes, right?
1: I don't know. He's a very thoughtful person. He's a, he's a current student, actually. I don't want to, you know, mess up what he's currently studying, but he's still in school.
0: He's, oh, okay. He's still
1: learning. He has and his, then
0: there is the angel. You know, he has his
1: degrees and he's still going.
0: Okay. And then there is Angel Navales. He's a 23-year veteran of CPD, now serves as Chief of Constitutional Policing and Reform. Is that such a great calling card at a time when the department has been so very slow toward complying with the federal consent decree? I believe we're only in full compliance with something like 10% of the mandates.
1: Yeah, I think I think Chief Navalis has a lot of great ideas and a lot of insight about the consent decree and and how to implement it and move it forward.
0: What are his ideas that you stand out for you?
1: Um, I think it I think it'd be I don't I don't think it'd be appropriate to share his ideas on that, um, but I, I do think that he has a lot of great ideas on um, on how to move that forward.
0: Well, why not? Why not share some? And of he's his also audience. very
1: knowledgeable of it. This this is a person who is able to quote specific paragraphs of the consent decree. He knows that thing front and backwards. Literally. Okay. But why not share what, what, what he plans to do to, to speed
0: it up? Why, why can't you share that?
1: Um, uh, because I think that will be for him to share, and he still has an interview process to go through with Mayor Johnson.
0: And what about his ideas for improving morale? What does he say about that?
1: Yeah, so I, I won't I won't share his ideas, but what I will say is that um, he he's a person who understands this at a very intimate level, um, more than most. Uh, Chief Navales is a person who has been injured on the job. He's been shot on the job, um, and he knows how hard it is. Um, and he, like I said, he knows that probably better than anybody. Um, so his his thought process and the way that he views it is different, um, and so I think that was also. It's not important that that happened to him, but that experience is a very unique thing that very few people uh, know about is putting your life on the line and actually, you know, coming close to um, losing your life for for a specific job and keep going after that and to keep uh, being promoted and to keep working hard, I think is a real testament to his character.
0: Yeah. What does he tell you about what he learned from that near-death experience?
1: Um, I think he speaks about how I made him better. Um, How difficult it was, um, how the community was there for him and how his fellow officers were there for him and the camaraderie that it built and how it helped to advance his thinking as a leader. He
0: also spent a few years as deputy chief of community policing, overseeing youth engagement and neighborhood policing initiatives and the expansion of the civil rights unit that has also been criticized as not doing that well. So why is that a calling card for him? That's a positive thing.
1: I don't know i haven't I haven't heard those criticisms um, i'm I'm sure they exist because you're you're an excellent journalist um, but I, I haven't specifically heard those but um, I do know he has a lot of experience with community policing um, he is a person who is very very data driven but also understands that you have to look beyond numbers that is not just about what the data says but what the sentiment data says what does what do people feel um and i think that that is something that was a, a very unique quality of his that he's not only concerned with you know numbers and results in that sense, but also do people feel the impact on the ground and are they satisfied with the quality of service
0: and can you share any of his crime fighting ideas that's the bottom line for most chicagoans
1: yeah um i actually don't recall from his interview specifically um I'm sure I scored him very highly on, on crime fighting uh, strategy, but I, I don't I don't recall right now.
0: FOP President John Catanzaro, who is no wallflower, has, and he's been very, very critical and been at odds with the department on so many things. He was complimentary of you, believe it or not, said this process is 100 times better than it was under the police board, more fair, more inclusive. And he thanked you on behalf of his 17,000 members. Did you ever think you'd hear that?
1: No, and I was very shocked for him to even be at that meeting. And uh, I had to take very, had to be careful not to let my mouth fall to the floor when he got up and said that. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> Why that, do you that think completely shocked me. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think I do know we were, I just didn't expect it. We were intentional about including everybody, I think. You know, we live in a very, very polarized city, a very polarized time. It's a time where people go into their corners and throw rocks at each other, but very seldomly come and actually talk to each other. Um, And from day one, we were intentional about that. When we say community engagement, we mean those who have been impacted by police violence. And we mean those who uh, have are longtime residents, those are residents who just got here. And we mean, um, you know, officers as well. Uh, As I always say, we have a residency requirement. These aren't police officers from Dalton or Harvey or somewhere else coming into our city. They live in the city limits. They are our community. We grocery shop with them. We take our kids to the same schools. We live amongst them. So they, they're community members as well. Uh, and their, their input is valuable. And they, they have a very, very, very hard job. And uh, We did our best to, to hear from them. Um, and so if I had to guess why he said that, it was because we were intentional about that. And if you look at the report, we released many of the questions that they asked us were asked to these superintendent applicants.
0: Joe Ferguson, the former inspector general, told me that the hearings were hijacked by political campaigns of sorts, sort of unseemly for some of the candidates, and that he believes that that discouraged the best of the best nationwide to apply. Uh, he says these six semifinalists that he knew about he's wrong. Were, were qualified, but that they're not the best of the best.
1: Yeah, he's wrong. That's I don't know wrong. Any other way to say it. I I I will never release those names of the people who applied. Can guarantee you and promise you the best of the best of names are included in that pile. Promise, that is a promise. And I will also Well, say, I guess what he means um, is
0: somebody with a with a big city background, you know, not not somebody from Madison, and, Wisconsin, you know. And I'm saying he somebody wrong. who's a chief he, somewhere in a big city.
1: He he is wrong. I know the names that were that applied. He is absolutely incorrect. Uh Gary McCarthy said the same thing. He is absolutely incorrect. We got to these three names by going through the best. The best people, and as, as I've said before, six chiefs of major cities, major cities is defined as top 50 populations, I have applied for this position. Eight of smaller to mid-level cities applied for this position. That's 14 people with police chief experience. These are not small cities, um, they're they're major cities. So I, I and again, I, I without a shadow of a doubt. The, okay, Is the there anything the about
0: properties. the search process or the board that you need to change in the next round if there is a next round that you have to go through?
1: Um, I, I think that will come from me talking to my fellow commissioners, um, me yeah. getting feedback from from residents and, and us figuring out what we did wrong and how, how we need to, you know, do better. Uh, there's always stuff that we need to change.
0: Yeah, sure. 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 You're not perfect. Well. I, I commend you on what you did. Good luck with, uh, with the mayor's choice. I hope he doesn't send you back to the drawing board. I, I doubt if that'll happen. And in the meantime, get some rest, get some breakfast, you deserved it. Anthony Driver, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you all next week.
1: I appreciate it, thank you.